0: you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Susana Coming up, the impacts are just as detrimental. Manawatu's first ever elected female MP speaks about the impacts of Cyclones Judy and Kevin. Also, I certainly would take the view that there's no
1: need for a policy. There's no problem that's been identified that needs to be addressed.
0: Urgency grows for the PNG government to scrap its proposed new media law,
2: and later on... We also admit preterm and unwell babies that are born in the hospital or outside the hospital would get admitted to our ward. Kiribati's lack of clean water
0: is weakening the health of young children. The cyclone response for battered Vanuatu is in full swing, with Australia, France and New Zealand providing aid. Despite New Zealand tending to its own wounds from Cyclone Gabrielle, the country's foreign affairs minister, Nanaya Mahuta, says assistance to Vanuatu won't affect their own ongoing response. Initial reports from Vanuatu's National Disaster Management Office indicate about 80% of the country's population of 320,000 has been affected, including more than 125,000 children. Lydia Lewis spoke with Gloria Julia King, Vanuatu's sole female MP, and began by asking her how the double cyclones have impacted young people in Vanuatu.
3: I think the biggest challenge now is just getting power and water back into full circuit around the country. Um, um, But having Coming from this part of the island, um, and for the rest of Vanuatu, everyone's very resilient. Um, we come from uh, very deep traditional backgrounds where people have been known to um, find ways to get get around and um, do with whatever resources they are they can find. Available, um, yes. Um, maybe for the kids, it's um, going to take a lot of effect in the fact that a lot of our schools are still um, in in makeshift classrooms that we're still being we're, we're affected by palm seven years ago, and some of them are still sitting on the floor without desks and chairs. So with this too, it means that the the, the impacts are are going to take its toll on the education system of Vanuatu and not just that, as well as the um, the health facilities that are able uh, um, available to everyone. Um, but then having said that, um, I know Vanuatu will be able to um, rally its people together and we will need all the help we can get. We will appreciate any help we can get, but more importantly, it's it's an opportunity for Vanuatu to get back together as a collective and stand on its two feet to see this through together. For, for for our kids and for the future of Vanuatu,
2: um, and also um, the the country's main hospital uh, has been impacted. What is the current status of the hospital, and where do people go if they need help at the moment?
3: Vanuatu has had its fair share of cyclones in the last few years, and to be honest, a lot of the facilities haven't haven't been fully recovered after each cyclone. So. To have two cyclones in a week means a lot more damage, uh, a lot more probably challenges that will be faced. And um, um, I my heart goes out to the the people who are serving in the health. Health, uh, department at the moment, the Minister of Health and his team who, uh, will be working hard together to rally up all their resources, uh, to be able to serve the country to the, to its full capacity. Um, again, we've been, we were very fortunate to have had a lot of help from abroad after PAM and during the pandemic and, uh, for a government that's only been in-house for, um, just Almost four months. It's uh, it's a lot to take on. The leadership can only take this to their stride and um, try to do its best to, um, to 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 serve the communities and the people who require uh, the health facilities as needed.
2: And how um, how does Kevin and Judy this event compare with Pam um, looking back and thinking back to that time of Pam? What is the the destruction like?
3: Um, So, to my knowledge, both were cat four. Um, Judy did not have a lot of um, damage to the environment as much as Kevin did. Uh, Probably not as severe as Pam. Um, For me, Kevin would be probably halfway between Judy and Pam. It It would have had it gone for a little bit longer, it would have so much more damages and uh, saying that because it it stayed on from where we were the winds picked up at eight o'clock in the morning and come eight o'clock at night it was still howling so it was a long 12-hour period that it was like it was not as strong as Pam but during its presence it was able to uh, rip apart roofs and uh, throw t- th- trees around, caused a lot of damages to the road and the coastlines. Um, it's, it, it's, we're very grateful that it did come down after that and it was able to move out of ifate but had it stayed a bit longer, I don't know. Um, I don't think a lot of people would have fed too well. There was a lot of rain and the high rise of... Um, mainly the river levels causing flooding meant a lot of families had to be uh, moved away from the riverbanks, those close to the riverbanks and those who uh, dwelt near pathways of um, like creeks and uh, near bridges because the, the over flooding became a little bit too much. And even this morning going into town, uh, a lot of the, the rivers are still on the roadside, still flowing, um, like it was yesterday so um, it's not maybe it's not cap 5 but the effect the impacts are just as just as detrimental
0: there's a growing chorus of voices urging the Papua New Guinea government to abandon a proposed new media law The proposal was announced out of the blue last month with a very short window for consultations, which was extended after complaints from local and regional media, academia and democracy advocates. Kuroi Hawkins spoke with one of these voices, Dr Amanda Watson, a research fellow at the Department of Pacific Affairs at Australian National University, who points out the government's failure to identify a clear issue or problem that justifies the creation of such a policy.
1: First of all, I'd like to say that it took me and others by surprise that there was a media policy emerging from the government of Papua New Guinea because, as far as I was aware, there was no prior indication that they were working on this. Uh, And Papua New Guinea has always had quite a good media freedom, really. I mean, a fragile media freedom, perhaps we could say, but freedom of the media is protected in the constitution of Papua New Guinea and Papua New Guinea rates reasonably well in the latest Reporters Without Borders uh, index. It's just outside the top third of countries. So that means it has relative freedom of the media compared to other countries and to date at least. So what's happened is that the Papua New Guinea government put out a press release on the 6th of February announcing a draft media policy and the initial consultation period was just 11 days long which was very worrying so that was the first part of the process was that those of us who were concerned about that were saying this is too short a consultation period And so on. So that was the initial thing that happened. Then the Minister for Information and Communication Technology, the Honourable Timothy Masseyou, granted a week's extension. What I've noticed too, which is interesting, is that currently the submission form is still open on the Department of Information and Communication Technology website. So anyone can go to ict.gov.pg and submit their responses to the draft policy, which is really great.
4: And the you've have you had a look at this and what are some of the measures in it that are concerning for you?
1: To be clear, the draft policy that I responded to and read and made a submission about was version one. The department has in very quick succession come out with version two and version 2.1, Yesterday, the department held a workshop. So on the 2nd of March, the department held a workshop at which they uh, discussed the draft policy in detail. What the Department of Information and Communication Technology said in the workshop on the 2nd of March is that they're going to create a third version, a third draft, and then they'll ask for responses to that third draft. However, I might just mention that a number of bodies are urging strongly for the whole process to be disbanded. And I certainly would take the view that there's no need for a policy. There's no problem that's been identified that needs to be addressed. Uh, And indeed, it's the preference of various entities who presented in the workshop yesterday and others who spoke, but including Transparency International, Papua New Guinea, the Media Council of Papua New Guinea, the United Nations Resident Coordinator. And I would certainly agree with them. And there were other voices too saying we should not have a policy. so we're hoping that one possible outcome will be, rather than version three and four and five, that we actually uh, reach a point where there can be agreement that there's no need for a media policy in Papua New Guinea.
4: Um, I have uh, I spoke earlier to um, Professor Shalendra Singh at the University of the South Pacific, and he was alluding to sort of comparing Fiji's situation with its media act, and then also looking at the effect across the region of governments, especially through COVID, being a lot more critical of their own media. What what are your comments on that?
1: So Papua New Guinea has always had relative media freedom. But yes, the Fiji case did come up quite a bit in the discussion yesterday uh, at the workshop. So at the workshop in Port Moresby, the case of Fiji was mentioned another to- a number of times. It's quite interesting to see that the Fiji and media sector has been working in a suppressive environment since their media decree was introduced in 2010. But since the election late last year in Fiji, the new government has announced a review of that exact decree, whereas now the Papua New Guinea government seems to be considering something along those lines, different but generally similar in that there are concerns about what it would mean for media freedom. So it's quite interesting how... Uh, Fiji, one Pacific nation seems to be going in a positive direction in terms of reviewing a suppressive media act, whereas another country is talking about introducing one. So it seems like different countries are perhaps going in different directions.
4: Let's say if PNG and g does decide it wants to go ahead with this, what would be the considerations that, that you would advocate to be in such a policy?
1: The... First draft of the policy was quite broad and com- covered a number of things. So it's a bit hard to say um, what might possibly happen if they go ahead with a media policy. Uh, I still think the best scenario, I think the best scenario is if the government drops the policy. That would fit in with the common practices in democracies. And I think it would be best for Papua New Guinea's democracy. There's no need for a media policy in Papua New Guinea there's no clear reason why it's needed there's no statement of a problem it's addressing Uh, if there was to be a new media policy in Papua New Guinea I would be concerned about a few aspects in particular the licensing of journalists and threats to remove those licenses that is one of the main concerns In the first draft of the policy, there was also mention of defunding of the National Broadcasting Corporation and an expectation that the NBC would generate its own funds and become self-sustaining. That wasn't mentioned much in the workshop, full day workshop in Port Moresby. So I'm not sure if they're looking to remove that from subsequent versions of the policy. But certainly a lot of people have expressed concern about this licensing of journalists. And that would be one of the things that I would have a great lot of concern about if the Papua New Guinea government does look to move forward with a media policy.
0: A paediatrician visiting Kitabas says pollution and lack of clean water is causing children to get sick. Dr Joanne Clark arrived in Kitabas with international organisation Medson Sans Frontier at the end of last year. Ms. Clark says parts of the country were also overcrowded, which meant diarrhoea and respiratory illnesses could spread easily. She spoke with RNZ Pacific's Caleb Fotheringham.
2: There are no paediatricians who have completed the four-year training program to be a consultant paediatrician. Um, to be able to complete the training, they have to go to Fiji or um, another country. Um, so I currently work alongside uh, four paediatric registrars who two of them have done a a one-year diploma but you know they have a lot of clinical experience from from working on the wards in the hospital here and then we have um, interns who are doctors who are in their first year of working after completing medical school we have um, three interns that rotate um, every three months to get experience kind of in, in various departments of the hospital so I work alongside um, eKirabas doctors who have worked in paediatrics for a long time, but unfortunately haven't been able to um, complete the training program.
3: Well, it's good that you've got a bit of help, but still, it sounds like a lot falls on you. Is that, is that a lot of work?
2: So currently we're quite busy. We're seeing a lot of respiratory illnesses in the, the young children at the moment. The wards are generally quite full most days. We have 25 beds for paediatrics and neonates, so for the small babies. So it is busy at times, but you know, with the support of the local doctors, we, we kind of manage.
3: You're seeing a lot of respiratory issues in children at the moment. Is there anything else that you're
4: seeing?
2: The kind of main illnesses that they see throughout the year are respiratory illnesses so pneumonia, bronchiolitis. We see quite a lot of diarrhoea cases. And about a month ago, we had quite an outbreak of diarrhoea. The ward was full with children with diarrhoea and, you know, severe dehydration associated with that diarrhoea. We admit quite a lot of babies with sepsis. And we also admit preterm and unwell babies that are born in the hospital or outside the hospital would get admitted to our ward as well. Also, alongside the the other kind of illnesses that we see in children, we um, admit quite a few cases, probably about four or five cases per week of children with severe acute malnutrition. And these are children who, you know, they get an illness such as diarrhea or or pneumonia and they become very unwell because of their kind of underlying malnutrition.
3: In terms of some of the stuff that you're seeing, are there sort of any underlying reasons why you're seeing it?
2: The kind of environment here contributes to quite a lot of illnesses. Not everybody has access to maybe as much clean water as they would like. There is lots of pollution in the lagoon so you know people swim in the lagoon people don't necessarily have access to clean water and therefore things like that can can result in diarrhea and then if you don't have access to clean water for like drinking but also for washing then kind of illnesses can spread a bit more quickly parts of the island are quite overcrowded so if you've got lots of people living in a small space then kind of respiratory illnesses and also diarrhea can spread quite a lot Fresh, healthy food is not readily available. And when it is available, it's not very affordable. So um, families don't have kind of access to fresh fruit and vegetables that, you know, are such an important part of a, of a developing child's diet. People rely on a lot of um, imported foods um, and kind of quite processed foods as well. So that kind of impacts the diet of people from, you know, a young age all the way through to later in life as well.
4: I know
3: there's been a drought in Kiribati as well. Has that affected anything?
2: So I think the drought really affects the people's access to water in that lots of people use water from wells. And as the demand for water increases, then... The fresh layer gets used up and, and there's always a risk that the kind of salt water is going to penetrate into that freshwater layer. And, you know, it, kind of other places, people rely on on rainwater. And now we've had some rain, um, but there's not been much rain in the past week or two. So, you know, people who rely on rainwater, their rainwater tanks are probably starting to, to dry up as well. Um, So, yeah, drought is definitely affecting people's access to clean water. And then, you know, as I said before, if you don't have enough clean water, then it kind of affects your health in terms of diarrheal diseases, skin diseases, um, just your general well-being.
3: As a paediatrician, is there anything that you see Kiribati needs?
2: I think one of the really good things that you can do you know everywhere really in in healthcare is investing in the people so um continuing to support them in kind of training and and development and kind of areas that we've seen is in some areas of the hospital, they don't have kind of guidelines in the same way that we're used to in in other countries around the world. And so we've kind of been trying to support them um, with access to some kind of guidelines to, for them to kind of help make decisions on how they treat people. It's also trying to support the kind of e people staying in country it is understandable when they get offered um, better opportunities overseas than, um, you know, people obviously Take those opportunities, and also kind of trying to support um, local people being able to get training opportunities to kind of make the, the healthcare system here more sustainable, so they don't have to rely on support from overseas for kind of medical staff as well.
0: That's Pacific Ways for today. Remember, you can download us for free to device from Spotify, iHeart, or Apple Podcast. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Favita lover, Manuele Bayasu.